Welcome to the 905er. I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. Okay, before we begin today, we have some big news to share with all of you. You may have seen it on our social media, but we're going to remind you anyways. We are now on Patreon. For $5 a month, you can help us keep this podcast going. Our ambition when we started this was to create an independent and progressive media voice for the issues and news that matter to us the most here in the 905 region. Unfortunately, we cannot do this for free, and that's where you come in. We need your help to build a new media voice in the region. We need for you to become a 905er yourself. That's why we're inviting you to click on the link in our show notes to go to our Patreon page today and sign up immediately. Thank you very much, and you're not going to regret it. Okay, now that that's out of the way, moving on. If you haven't already, I'm going to recommend that you go and listen to our Tuesday episode on the Caledonia land dispute issues. There's a lot to unpack there. Our guests, uh, Sean Vanderclees and Carl Dockstetter, were very kind to enlighten us and to uh, fill in a lot of our gaps on the on the history and knowledge of, of the situation. We recommend that you go listen to that now if you haven't, so that you're uh, up to speed and educated as we are. So, Roland, what were your thoughts on on our discussion that day? I thought it was fascinating, and that may have come across in my voice at various points. It's so interesting, and really, you know, this is the kind of thing I think both of us started this podcast to do, to try and get stories out. And sure, you know, this was in The Spectator last week. It's being covered in other journalism, too. However, to be able to speak to two people who know the story intimately, who've been involved in it, whether willingly or unwillingly, is really important to speak to them for like a full half hour uh, rather than a kind of five minute couple of sound bites, uh, which you tend to get on a regular radio is really great. So um, just fascinating story. And like I think I said in the interview, you know, it, it's shaken me to an extent this year to see, particularly with what's happening in Caledonia happening at the same time as what's happening in Nova Scotia, to see two stories where the protesters, if you like, are from different sides of the divide, or what's perceived to be the divide, being treated by the law enforcement agencies of the respective regions in what seems to be a very different way. And that's really worrying, to say, you know, to say the least, worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to face up to that kind of thing. And we can't brush this under the carpet anymore. It's not good enough. Uh, and I know many people who either worked for the various police services or whatever. And I know sort of hearing me as a friend say, wow, this really sucks <laughs> that what we're seeing happen with police in different places. It's going to be hard for them to hear, but we have to face up to this. We can't, you know, when it's when it seems so blatant in these two cases above all, and then we had not to mention uh, Black Lives Matter earlier in the year and everything else. Yeah, we, we have to face up to it and we have to accept that every institution is open to criticism um, and has to be able to accept criticism and just this kind of blanket, hey, don't be nasty about the boys in blue stuff is just not going to wash it anymore. Yeah, I know that you and I have been talking about doing this episode for quite some time now. I think I want to say almost a month we've been wanting to touch upon this, but it was one of those things of we knew as a couple of white guys just saying, hey, let's go talk about 
what's going on in Caledonia wasn't good enough. We needed to really unpack and get a, a real handling on, on what was going on. And more than beyond this, the simple land claim, you know, oh, it's just a couple of protesters on a housing development land. That's not really the story here. The story is going back centuries. And the protesters who are there, the Six Nations members who are there, it's clearly in their mind, they're thinking of centuries old transgressions that are still un unfolding today, clearly. And I agree entirely with what you're saying there, Roland, but just how the parallels between what's happening provinces away and that it's okay for one one group of people to have police exercise force to kick them off their land. And yet when another group of people need the police to defend them on their land, they're not there. You know, we want to talk about systemic racism and what's going on on that front. That's kind of what people are talking about. It's that the policies allow for certain actions to happen or not happen, depending on which side is being aggrieved. And that's that can't be what the police are for. That might be the way that things have always been done, but we're talking about massive, massive change to institutions here. And that's what I think the police are a good way to look at as a, an institution that is in need of change. And I think we've all seen that this year, is that there's an institution in our society that is in need of massive systemic change. It's our policing forces. And not to say that the police are bad guys, but, you know, you have to sit there and wonder, like, why is it that we're always vilified? And don't give me the, oh, it's the media. They're giving me a bad rap. You know, no, we've all seen the videos. We're seeing the, the responses. The cookie cutter PR key messaging sheets that you're being fed aren't cutting it anymore. If you want to talk real justice, take a step back and look at what you're doing. My hope is that after 2020, you know, Maybe 2021 is the case where we sit down and actually see real, the, our federal leaders, the Justin Trudeau, sit down and say, we need to talk real change, not just a few platitudes given here and there, but, you know, sit down and, and start talking real change. Uh, it's not, it hasn't happened yet. It's a travesty on all of us as Canadians that this has not been properly addressed. It's, uh, I'm struggling to find the right words to sort of put this in. The police should welcome this in many ways, and it's probably a very faint hope that, that they will. Police forces should want to be better, should be want to be the best that they possibly can. They should be want to be the most fair, most even-handed, should want all these things. They should want to not have to do jobs that they're not particularly well qualified to handle, like handling mental health issues, or you would hope that there was a way for everybody to see that this is a good thing for everybody involved. And in reality, I can't say I'm hugely optimistic that that will happen. You know, talking about the government as that kind of thing, action rather than the words. I mean, Carl and uh, Sean spoke about the things that the government said about truth and reconciliation, about a kind of new relationship with First Nations and Indigenous people. And we're halfway through, well, we're a quarter of the way through the second term of this government. And it's sure there's been the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and all those things. But, I mean, in, in terms of actual change, it's coming very slowly. And we need to see progress happening faster. Uh, this government really needs to get a move on because they ain't going to be around forever. Um, you've got to seize the opportunity while you've got it. It's one of these things that, it, you're right, this isn't going away. And the travesty is that Justin Trudeau and a lot of the current liberals sitting now in parliament were elected on the promise of, we were finally going to address this. We were finally going to start the process of righting a historic wrong between the First Nations people and the descendants of those who settled this land. 
the hope was that maybe, maybe we can find a path forward. Maybe we can look at facing the, the truth about where we've been to see a new path forward, whatever that might be. And I know that there are many people who are like you and I, Roland, who shake our heads and we just say, this, this happened on our behalf. This was done in our name to what should have been First Nations partners historically. And I'm not taking blame for it, but you just can't shake your head and say, well, I wasn't there, so I'm waving my hands and I'm walking away. It's one of those cases of, yeah, but what are we doing now? Because the systems that perpetrated that then still exist today, and they're being used today. And we see that with the policies of the RCMP and the policies of the OPP basically being twisted or utilized in a way just to keep First Nations people down. In the case of Caledonia, uh, the injunction ruled by the justice there to basically say, okay, we'll figure it out later, but all the Six Nations members, all the protesters need to clear off the land so development can continue, and then we'll discuss your grievance. That's not in good faith. That's not an honest discussion nation to nation to say, hmm, yes, you think you own this land, we don't think you do. Okay, if we're going to be mature adults here and have a nation to nation discussion, we're going to sit down and have a chat about this. Because you and I both know, Roland, that if somebody decided, well, we want to build a house in our backyards, you and I both know we're going to stand up, shout bloody murder, and chances are the court's going to say, well, let's stop until we determine who owns what land. And we're at least going to get the project to halt before we can get a mediator or some kind of uh, negotiator in there. That's not what's happening in this case. And that to me is a travesty and it's an insult to the spirit of reconciliation. Yeah, it's a travesty in my opinion. It's something I don't agree with. Yeah, ultimately the question that people who look like us ask is... You know, why are these guys making such a fuss? Can't we just talk about it? And it's like, well, no, because the only way the First Nations peoples of Canada have ever managed to get heard is by setting things on fire and by cutting off the electricity power, by making one hell of a stink. And even that has generally not worked. But what other choice do you have? Um, so I'm not saying those things are right, uh, but I am saying that when you're in a position where you've got no influence, no power, and no one's going to listen to you, those are the options that are available to you. Well, that's the theme of 2020. I mean, we've seen that in Caledonia, out east in Nova Scotia, and we've seen it with Black Lives Matter. When you don't sit down with aggrieved parties and have an honest discussion, and I do mean honest, and sit down and be willing, and you have to say, I'm willing to give something up to move forward. When that happens, when the, one side says, it doesn't matter, I don't believe you anymore. You've given me no reason to have faith that you're here in good faith, that you're willing to compromise, that we are willing to act so that we're all better off. That's what gets you protests in the streets. That's why you get people sitting in on land developments. And that's why you get people pushing their way through barricades so that they can get their boats out on the water for their livelihood. You know, democracy is messy. And that means sometimes you have to sit down with people that you vehemently disagree with. But here's the thing. They have as much of a right to sit at that table as you do. And if you're not going to sit down at it, then they'll find a way to make their voices heard. I mean, if that's the lesson we've learned in 2020, it's got to be that one. And I'm hoping that our leadership is hearing it and they take it to heart and no more platitudes. We get an actual plan going to work this out. Because my bet is that no matter what, the, the solution is going to be a solution that not really everyone is pleased with, but everyone can kind of say, okay, I'm willing to walk away peacefully and let this matter settle we have to have an honest dialogue. And I don't see that happening in any of these places right now. Yeah. We, we talk about First Nations. They are nations. They are the nations who were here before our nation. 
We talk about speaking nation to nation. We talk about indigenous and First Nations laws, the laws that pre-existed, the, the colonizers. But actually, when it boils right down to it, it's like you have to come to our courts. You have to play by our rules. You have to do it. Play by the rules, basically, that were invented in medieval Europe about who owns sheep and fields and stuff. Right. <laughs> basically, feudal laws that were invented for aristocrats thousands and thousands of miles away. This is how you're going to have to work. And until we start treating the indigenous peoples of Canada, not as these kind of, basically almost as kind of wards of the state, as like children who must be... Stop uh, treating them as land occupiers. Start treating them as equal partners in confederation. Yeah, that's important, that really. What else is happening, Roland? (laughs) What else is happening? Well, let's let's rant about something else. and we've got a good one to rant about, and it's in the 905 as well. And it's Mr. McVetty, or, or um, is he Reverend McVetty? I don't know. Anyway, the Canada Christian College and School of Graduate Theological Studies, which is in Whitby, Ontario, has been lobbying quite strongly the provincial government to become Canada Christian University. And this has caused somewhat of a stink in the legislature, and I would say probably rightly so. I think Mr. McVetty is well established as a donor to a donor and supporter of Doug Ford's uh, campaign to be leader of the PCs. He was one of the backers during his uh, leadership campaign and is touted in the press as being one of the key supporters and backers as to why Doug Ford is leader of the Conservative Party of Ontario today. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things if you don't also have a history of openly homophobic statements, statements aimed at Muslims, the entire Islamic religion. We know how this this story goes, right? It's the kind of US-style evangelical, I would say extreme far-right form of kind of political Christianity, for want of a better word. We don't have too much of in Canada, but Bush certainly does exist. And those things take it from that kind of mixing of church and state of universities and religion mixing or schools and religion mixing to an issue of public recognition of someone with a history of really very unpleasant statements. Well, I mean, the real issue is the fact he put his case in front of the board that would allow him to grant bachelor's of arts and bachelor of sciences degrees through his institution to students. I'm sure there are other institutions around the province who have applications in and they are going through their due process to get authorized and earn the right properly. The problem here is that it seems that Mr. McVitie's college somehow got bumped to the top of the list and is now being kind of run through the process. Uh, A lot of questions have been popping up in the legislature in terms of how how did this get hyped through so fast? And it seems that there might be a connection between Mr. McVitie and Mr. Ford. At least that's what the opposition members are, are alleging in the Ontario legislature yet to be proven. But it does raise a question of why, why is this being pushed through and why are we learning about it now? And I do wonder if part of it might be that we have a pandemic on and it's one of these, oh, let's hope nobody's paying attention because everybody's more terrified of the virus than Mr. McVitie's college. But uh, it didn't quite work out that way. (laughs) Um, Timmy, people caught wind of it. I just have an issue with these colleges as an idea because we see it in the States. This is almost like a copycat model of Jerry Falwell's Liberty University, which is a very much evangelical Christian right-wing institution parading as a university. 
do not turn to a code of conduct, which is very much Christianity, Ten Commandments, and its thinking. You know, it just kind of ridiculousness in terms of why would you want to go there and what would you gain out of it? I have an issue with the idea. And yeah, Mr. McVitie is a well-known homophobe and Islamophobe. And to give him a pulpit of this magnitude in the province is a scary notion. I'm not comfortable with a man like that being allowed to preach his hate to young, young influential minds. I'm certainly not a fan. Ultimately, why does it want to be a university rather than a college? It's already a college and it can already issue degrees in a limited field connected with theology. If it becomes a university, it can issue Bachelor of Science degrees, Bachelor of Arts degrees. Well, it's not going to be a very good science, is it? On that note, I mean, you have to believe in science to issue a science (laughs) degree. Are they going to talk about climate change? Are they going to talk about how an abortion is medically induced? You know, forget the the philosophy or your ethics surrounding it, but, you know, would they discuss that in a medical science class, you know, in a biology class? How does that happen? That kind of thing. The complexities around female reproductive rights. The ideas are higher learning institutions are places where we go to to debate these ideas. And we have honest debates. You can't have an honest debate if the outcome has already been predetermined that, no, this is wrong and this is right. And Mr. McVitie has the final say on that argument. That's not a marketplace of free ideas, if you will. Um, It's indoctrination is what it turns out to be. In Canada, I believe, we were talking about this just before we came on, um, there's places like Liberty University or private universities. Uh, They don't take anything from the government, I don't believe. You know what you're paying for when you go there. So fine, whatever. Still not a huge fan. But if you're a university in Ontario you're receiving government accreditation, basically, that you are a certain standard and that you abide by the by the norms of our province. Uh, I don't see any way in which this university can do that. Certainly not outside of the very narrow field of its own theology. Um, let's face it, this shouldn't have happened. This university back in the 80s had its right to issue degrees withdrawn by the Ministry of Education by the then PC government, basically on the basis that the degrees they were issuing and the, were useless, was the quote that was said at the time. They, for many years, issued theological degrees under authority given to it by Manitoba and not by Ontario, because Ontario wouldn't give it to them. And it's obviously been an issue for a long time that they kind of wanted this this university recognition and they've been pushing for it and pushing for it. And over the last couple of decades, they made some progress because of private members' bills by PC uh, MPPs. I don't see that something that was seen as objectionable in 1982 is any more acceptable now in our much more... I mean, let's face it, the world has moved on a lot since 1982, in my opinion, in a much better direction so if it wasn't, you know, are we really going to say that this kind of thing is acceptable now that even in 1982 was seen as a out of line? Uh, like, are we going to have an institution that basically is going to come out and say that the millions of Ontarians who live in a same-sex marriage are wrong, you know, and that it's that's what it's, they're going to preach to their students. The fact of the matter is same-sex marriage is the law of the land. It has been for over 10 years now, our society has not crumbled and fallen into anarchy. It is actually quite going quite strong and quite prosperous. And it was probably one of the better ideas that the previous uh, liberal government brought in. But let's face it, that argument has sailed. We now accept that same-sex marriage is a norm. It is acceptable. It is promoted. We want it. We like it. It's here to stay. 
Mr. McVitie somehow can't seem to get a hold of this concept and is now stuck in the past, and he expects all of us to return to the past with him. And I'm sorry, but no. Uh, it's about time that you caught up with the rest of us. It's 2020. We're all living in it. You can live here with us. It's miserable, but we can all get along. And the counter-argument that, that I'm sure Mr. McVitie would be... Uh, I going to call him Mr. McVitie, like the biscuits. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry going off track here completely i'm sure the counter argument he'd be giving us if he was speaking here now and he's welcome to call us and give us his opinion if you'd like is about freedom of speech and i will defend the rights of religious expression as strongly as anything else you're allowed to have your religion and you're allowed to have your beliefs you don't have free access to uh, promote those beliefs under the flag of the government in essence we accept it as as a right that people can have their religious beliefs but that's not the same as being able to just go out and market that contrary to the laws of the province freedom of speech isn't freedom to it's not freedom to be heard it's freedom to speak it's not freedom to have ears actually hear you and i think that's an that's an important distinction he lost the argument. He needs to accept it and move on. That's what it boils down to. Well, more importantly, the premier's lost the argument and made a mistake. And if the un- Uncle Fluffy version of Doug, who's the listening, caring, sharing version, is anything more than a mirage, then he should fess up, be a decent human being, and change his mind. Let's leave it at that. That's it for this episode of The 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.